2: Listener discretion is advised.
3: I'm trying to understand romance scams, why people fall for them, and how they work.
4: Hey, True. I just wanted to write you an email to tell you how much you mean to me and how lucky I feel to have found you. I'm really excited to meet you in 11 days' time. I'm so happy. I feel really calm and excited at the same time. Also, I was wondering what will happen, but it's great just knowing that this is the beginning of something really wonderful. I don't want this fabulous feeling to ever go away. I hope you still make my heart flutter when we're old and sitting on a porch in our rocking chairs playing with our grandchildren. Truman, you make me smile so much. Your girl, Jules.
3: So there you have it. My mum was 11 days away from flying across the world to meet a man she had neither met nor spoken to face to face, and she was sappy as a hormonal teenager. She booked the hotel like he'd asked her to, despite him telling her that he would be treating them to beautiful, expensive accommodations. She was deep in the process of investing in their imaginary future, and this meant that she was becoming less able to see or think clearly by the day. Little Red Riding Hood was told by her mother to bring a basket of food to her sick grandmother. Her mother warns her that the woods are dangerous, and tells her to make sure she stays on the path she knows. Along the way, Little Red Riding Hood comes across a wolf. Having never seen a wolf before, she doesn't know to be careful, since wolves are known to be untrustworthy. He charms her into trusting him, and she tells him about her mission. The wolf suggests that her grandmother might love some flowers and tells her about some beautiful ones just off the trail. When Red Riding Hood goes off to find the flowers, the wolf hurries off to eat her grandmother. He puts on her clothes and gets into bed. When she arrives, the girl again proves gullible in that she doesn't see through the wolf's disguise, even though she senses that something's wrong. Her grandmother now has ears, eyes, hands and teeth that are too big. Although she can remark on her disbelief, She is completely fooled and gets eaten as a result. In the years since these events, my mother has been on a journey to learn more about herself, forgive her poor choices, and try to understand why she participated in these toxic dynamics for so long. When we talk about it, one of the words that keeps coming up is gullibility. Why didn't she see the wolf who was so clearly manipulating her? And what's wrong with her ability to notice the red flags and act on them? Gullibility and trust are usually defined next to each other, because they're so related. You can't have gullibility without trust, but it's not the case the other way around. Some researchers in the field define gullibility as trusting someone without having a reason to, or in spite of active evidence that they're not to be trusted. Humans are fallible it's normal for us to misjudge situations from time to time, but gullibility refers to a pattern of being duped, even in the presence of strong evidence that all isn't as it seems. Researcher Stephen Greenspan draws the distinction between gullibility and the related concept of credulity, or the tendency to believe false information. He says... A key difference between gullibility and credulity is that gullibility typically involves some concrete action, such as handing over a check to a con artist or marrying the same person for the third time despite a history of philandering. Greenspan wrote a book on gullibility and suggests there might be four components that make a person act gullibly. First, there's the social situation. In my mum's case, Truman was persuasive and flattering. He said all the things she wanted to hear and she took them at face value. Second are someone's cognitive processes, a person's ability to judge people accurately and make well-informed choices. I've often wondered whether my mother is simply bad at reading people or naive in some way. Third is someone's personality. In her case, She had already proven to be extremely trusting and have a hard time saying no. And finally, fourth, is the state the person is in at the moment when the manipulation is happening. She was completely infatuated with him, aware of her loneliness and feeling full of hope. Of course, Red Riding Hood's story wouldn't have happened without a wolf. Gullibility can't exist without people who are willing to exploit them. Exploiters are people who understand the reluctance of others to appear untrusting, and are willing to take advantage of that, and Truman certainly showed a willingness to take advantage. It was, in many ways, a perfect storm of factors that made her second, third, and fourth guess herself, so that she'd lose her grip on reality and make some pretty terrible choices. Greenspan says that it's not always necessary that all four of the factors are present for someone to fall into a trap laid by a predator. In her case, however, she was perfectly poised to be just the same as Little Red was, hoodwinked. Here's Scott Musgrove's definition of gullibility.
2: people talk about either a relationship between trust and gullibility or the contrast between trust and gullibility. I personally, I don't like to use the word gullible because gullible, at least here in Western culture, has this connotation that people are stupid. I don't want to go there because where I come from, professionally, I look at that as humans, we have a great need for connection and we have a great need for intimacy. Whether people say that they need intimacy or need people in their lives, we all need it. And that need for intimacy is informed by our cultural upbringing, our cultural influences, Western, Eastern, all of those things have a great impact on us. When it comes to gullibility. I think that there's more about susceptibility to influence that is targeted toward where your need for validation is. Some people get pulled into unhealthy relationships just because they've been pulled into it, not because they're stupid, not because they're gullible, but because they are enticed into it with the promise of something even bigger. And a lot of the times emotionally, especially when you're being victimized, that comes as a result of someone reading you and creating in you the idea that you have a need. Going back to that idea of gullibility, gullibility versus susceptibility, a person is going to be more susceptible or more gullible to outside influence when there is an obvious absence in their emotional life. So in this paradigm, Once again, it's not that a person lacks intelligence or has uh, an overwhelming amount of naivete, but it's the idea that at this particular point in their life, there is an opening, that there is, I'm even hesitant to use this word, but the idea that there is a void, there is a need. That to me is the most important part, because if there is a void, there are people there that will take advantage of that. And this is what their entire life is constructed about. I had a great several years working in a maximum level security yard of a California state prison. And what I saw was a number of men who their way of moving through life was manipulation. And their manipulation was based on taking in all the data of an individual. How does he or she dress? How does he or she walk? How does he or she interact with other people around them? And then they use that information to dissect and they don't necessarily make a surgical knowledge immediately of what that person needs, but they poke and they prod very carefully. And when they get a positive response, then they build on that. So when we talk about toxic relationships they are in the outside world, an individual pokes and prods, you may not even realize that you're being tested, but what they're doing is they're looking for specific reactions. Then they build on that, and that's where they build this false sense of trust.
1: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
3: Stephanie's fifty-five and hasn't dated for seventeen years. Her daughter was on plentyoffish.com and was receiving a lot of inappropriate pictures. Stephanie joined, possibly to prove that there are decent men out there. She was contacted by a lot of scammers posing as men in the military. She could tell from the way they wrote or from their pictures that they were totally fake. On her profile, she mentioned that she was interested in theology. And she says that this might have been what made people think she'd be easy to scam. At long last, it seemed, someone contacted her that she felt she could connect with.
0: One day, this one guy messaged me. And, you know, he was kind of handsome and he had these big, brown, soulful eyes and his profile looked nice. It said on his profile, you know, he's two years younger than me. He was 53, and I'm 55. And it said that he had a master's degree. And I had on my profile that I was college educated, but I've been to Christian college, and I didn't have a master's degree. So I was very flattered that someone with a master's degree would be interested in me. So we started chatting. And he told me that he had a son who was 17 and his son was in military school in Colorado and that his wife died in childbirth. He said that he came to America when he was 10 with his mother. He was originally from Poland. And he said he worked as a millwright in Orlando, Florida, which is on the other side of the state from me because I'm in Pasco County, Florida. We were chatting and everything, and then uh, we started uh, texting. I said, okay, we can text, because he seemed very nice. You know, he knew his Bible verses, and he knew what the Bible meant, and he said he was looking for a Christian woman because all the women were just looking for sex, you know? So I was like, oh, wow, you know, he seems nice. That's what I thought to myself. So we texted for about a month And he seemed nice. And I thought that he either had mental problems or he was a scammer. But I wasn't sure which, but I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because he did have such a nice profile picture and he he was handsome. He told me that he lived in Orlando, Florida, but he was living in England right now because of his job but he didn't say how long he would be over there. So then after about two weeks of texting and talking on the phone a couple of times, he texted me. He was already calling me baby and honey and sweetheart. And I was very flattered because like I said, it had been 17 years since I had had a date and I'm 55 years old, and nobody had ever called me baby or sweetheart or honey. And I thought, oh, wow, he must really like me if he's calling me that. So in the text, he told me that he was having some packages delivered to his house, and he wanted to know if I would go there and take some pictures of the packages and send them to him in text because he wanted to make sure that the packages weren't damaged. And that did seem kind of funny to me because, you know, if he was having this, these expensive equipment delivered to his house, why would he leave the country? And why doesn't he have a neighbor or somebody from his job that can go to his house? And why does he have to ask me? But I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe he really trusts me, you know. So he asked if I could do that for him. And I I said, no, no, I can't because I don't have a car. And so then he says, all right, let me get back to you. And then he got back to me the next day. He texted me and he says, well, can I have them delivered to your house? I can send you the money to your bank so that you can pay the delivery driver when the packages get to your house. And I wasn't comfortable giving him my address and I wasn't going to give him my bank info. So I told him in text, well, I'll give you my bank information if you give me yours and you tell me where you work so that I can verify that you do work there and you send me a picture of your photo ID. Of course, none of that happened. And he said that he'd figure out another way and don't you trust me, baby, and all that. And So I was like, well... I thought to myself, either he's incredibly naive or he's got to have mental problems where he thinks that, you know, somebody he's infatuated with would do all this stuff for him. So I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But, you know, I still liked him and I still I was making excuses for him. And I thought to myself, you know, well, maybe I'm being too harsh on him. I did keep talking with him and texting with him for a couple more weeks. I, you know, I was keeping my daughter, who's 28 years old, I was keeping her informed about all the things that me and the name that he gave me was Damien, and all the things that me and Damien talked about and texted about and everything. And I was keeping my daughter informed and My daughter said, Mom, he sounds creepy. He's got to be a scammer. Don't talk to him anymore. Just block him. And I was like, well, I can't. He's just so handsome. And he tells me that he's jealous and everything. And and he doesn't want me talking to other guys. And, And I think he's really insecure and... I think he's got mental problems. I think he really needs a friend because I've always tried to help the underdog. I've always tried to help others that, that need somebody that appear to be helping themselves. And I thought that's what the case was with him. So she says, well, just look up his number on the internet. Do a picture search on the internet for his photos. So I searched for his photos on the internet And I didn't turn up anything. And I looked on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I didn't turn up anything there either. And then I searched for his number, and I looked on two websites that do phone number searches, and the number came up as a Pennsylvania phone number. And he never mentioned that he lived in Pennsylvania, that the number was in Pennsylvania. And I was like, well, that's strange. Why would he be doing that? You know, I mean, he tells me he trusts me and he, you know, he wants to send me money and everything. And why would he be doing that? You know, I I took screenshots of the information that I found and I waited a week and I didn't say anything because I was really struggling, you know, in my heart because, you know, I was really starting to get some feelings for him. I wasn't really in love with him, but I was starting to get some feelings for him. And I didn't want to say anything because, you know, what if I was wrong? I didn't want to ruin a good thing. And what if I was just being overly paranoid over the course of that week that I waited? You know, he still texted me and talked to me and called me baby and everything. And I did notice that he was being more manipulative of me, trying to manipulate me emotionally And my last relationship that was 17 years ago, he was an alcoholic and he was very manipulative. So I knew the signs. I knew that I was dealing with a manipulator. So I just figured, well, he's got to be really insecure. I just, I really need to give him a chance. So I waited the week and he just, he just kept trying to manipulate me more and more. So then I just cried when I was home by myself and I felt terrible and I realized that I really had to do something and I couldn't just stop talking to him because I had promised him that I would not walk away and he was afraid I was gonna walk away from him. When I make a promise, I keep it because I've had so many people in my life make promises to me and break them that I can't do that to other people. So I felt like I was trapped, as crazy as it sounds. So I I decided that what I had to do was I had to confront him and either make him explain to me what was going on or make him dump me. Because I couldn't do it because I promised I wouldn't walk away. I had to talk with my daughter about it. I was really troubled. I really didn't want to deal with this. And my daughter was like, Mom, you have to confront him. It just block him. Change your number. And I'm like, no, I can't. And she's like, Mom, you've got to confront him. You've got to get it over with. So I says, all right, I will. So then I wrote him a big, long text. And I asked him why he had a phone number with a Pennsylvania area code when he was from Orlando Florida and he's living in England for his job so why he got back to me the next day and he didn't offer any explanations in text he you know he obviously got mad and he wrote you don't trust me you never did and I think you should go find yourself another man and so then I didn't hear from him again but after five days I didn't hear from him and I just was searching my heart and I just I knew, all right, it's time to block him. So that's what I did. I blocked him on my phone. Luckily,
3: Stephanie was wise enough to follow her daughter's advice and research her scammer online. And this strategy ultimately paid off as it became clear he did not actually exist her daughter was able to give her an objective perspective and, thankfully, was eventually able to convince Stephanie that it all seemed too good to be true. She now realises that everything her scammer told her was a lie. She's not angry with him personally, but is angry with scammers in general, since their main way in is to take advantage of lonely people. Chapter 2. The Getting to Know You Quiz.
4: I'd sent Truman a Getting to Know You questionnaire in the hope that he would send it back to me so that I could learn more about him. Of course, he never sent it back, but I'd filled it out for him and answered questions like what's your biggest fear and who's your celebrity crush?
3: Instead of being a cute method for deepening their connection, she'd given him a toolkit to manipulate her further by being able to connect with her on things she told him she cared about. The fact that Truman didn't bother to return the quiz to her was just another warning sign that he wasn't genuinely interested in her. But of course, she made excuses for him, saying to herself that he was just too busy with his two careers. They had the following conversation soon after she sent him her answers to the quiz. i would
5: just been thinking all night. What have you been thinking? So much. I was answering those questions you sent.
4: Oh, cool, yeah. Did you enjoy my answers? I had fun doing it.
5: It got me thinking how unhappy I am in my job. And not having love.
4: Well, there's hopefully a new beginning and a new love just around the corner. Fingers crossed. It's quite exciting, hey? I've spent the whole day watching girls get their hearts broken on The Bachelor. It's a very strange concept, but it makes me think so much about how I want true love and someone to share my life with. It's more. Everyone wants to have love in their lives, enjoy their jobs and have fun with their partners. Also, doing things for others gives you personal satisfaction.
5: I'm making some changes in my life for happiness.
4: It's all possible, you know. I'm glad to hear it. I hope I can be a part of it. I know, babes. Every time we communicate, I feel closer to you.
5: You are the foundation, the primary reason.
4: Oh, that means so much to
3: me.
5: You showed me something that I thought was only in the movies.
3: The change he was talking about making in his life was quitting his job at the construction firm. He knew it was going to be too much for him to continue the facade while she was in town. So he was laying the groundwork for the big announcement.
1: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
3: There's a strange irony to the fact that one of my mother's guiltiest pleasures is watching The Bachelor which creates situations that both simulate love and that are full of heartache.
4: I watch it because I really feel like I understand that search for love. Sometimes it seems almost desperate. And in every rose ceremony, I can feel the heartbreak of those who don't get one.
3: Though she was totally unaware at the time... She was in her own version of The Bachelor. Love and everything that looks like a real relationship was being manufactured right before her eyes. Chapter 3 Telling Me What I Want to Hear Soon after he'd read the quiz my mum had sent him, they had this conversation on Skype.
4: In an ideal world, what would you like to be doing for a job? Working with
5: children. I love kids. Helping the less fortunate in Africa.
4: Yeah, that's our plan. You and me in Africa, saving lives and making a difference. We can work towards that.
5: I already am.
4: Anything is possible, you know.
5: I'm going to buy land and build a home for orphans.
4: We could be an amazing team.
5: Motherless babies, babies with HIV.
4: Fantastic, count me in.
5: I am going to take care of them myself, all the way through to university. Can you imagine that?
4: Wow, I have the same aspirations. Yes, totally.
5: Having tons of kids owes their life and future to us.
4: I so hope we click on all levels, fall in love and can make this happen. That's why I'm working so hard. A new and exciting chapter in our lives.
5: Because I know there is a life in Africa. I'm going to save.
4: Good for you. I'm ready when you are.
5: We need to go do our homework. We just have to decide where. Maybe go to Africa for seven days, 29 January.
4: Well, we can chat face to face on Skype this weekend and make a plan.
5: I would love to go with you.
4: Me too. I will go anywhere that we can be safe and do our work.
5: We can brainstorm this weekend.
4: We will. It will be amazing. Do you have any sense of where you come from?
5: I will always protect you. I have a black belt in Judo. I can protect us anywhere.
3: (sighs) What do you notice when you read this again, all these years later?
4: Well, I can see that he was deepening my feelings of connection with him by appearing to share the same dreams as me. He knew that I'd taken students on a school trip to Kenya and visited orphanages. And he was drawing on my history and love of kids with the fantasy of going to Africa together. In the beginning of our relationship, when he bragged about how good he was at his job, how big the projects were, how much money was involved in them, he made himself seem accomplished, successful, and important. I felt really confident that he had the means to work towards our supposedly shared dreams.
3: The future my mother was imagining was looking bright and detailed. She was excited that they had the same values and desires to do good in the world. She'd been working with kids for more than 20 years, and retirement was on the horizon. Naturally, it had been crossing her mind what she'd like to do when she would no longer be working romanticized visions of the two of them building and running an orphanage in Kenya played across her mind. Of course, he would be in charge of supervising the building of the structure, given his background in construction, and she'd hold up the administrative end and use her skills as a teacher to run a school for all the children they would be able to take in. This idyllic future was fueling her, and its brightness was blinding. Chapter 4. Two Realities One day, my mum was feeling particularly hopeful and wrote a message to Truman.
4: Every time we talk, I feel more and more connected to you. I like you so much. I'm so excited and happy. It's a wonderful journey already and it's just the beginning. I'm so thrilled we found each other. It's our time.
3: What's it like for you to read that?
4: I can't believe I wrote it. I don't even remember doing it. He wasn't even responding and I was rambling on like a fool. It's pretty excruciating to read this back to myself. I still feel the shame eight years later.
3: You felt ashamed even then?
4: Some of that shame was already present. I didn't tell you or reach out to discuss the situation with anyone else because deep down I knew that they'd tell me that I had to get a grip and stop what I was doing. And I didn't want to hear it so I kept it mostly to myself. At one point I did briefly bring up the situation with my good friend Pam and she made it clear to me that she thought I was being reckless. Instead of taking her advice I ignored it and kept going.
3: How did you justify your decision to ignore her? Well in my mind I felt she didn't
4: understand but In hindsight, she was spot on with her concerns and she was just showing me that she cared. I imagine you would have had the same reaction as Pam if I'd told you.
3: It seems like you'd created two realities for yourself.
4: Yeah. One where I was as joyful as a teenager, and the other one where I knew I was doing something that needed to be kept under wraps.
3: Chapter 5. Sweetheart Scams Between 2015 and 2018, the number of reported sweetheart scams more than doubled in the U.S., and the amount of money that people were swindled out of quadrupled. The highest proportion of those who were victims of these scams were between the ages of 40 and 69. Dr. Scott Musgrove, forensic psychologist, offers a definition of a romance scam.
2: A romance scam is a concerted effort by an individual or group of individuals working independently or in tandem to engage in a relationship that develops eventually to be able to generate a financial return. And one of the things that people forget is that the people on the other side of these scams fall into generally two categories. One are opportunists versus career criminals. That even when we talk about career criminals, especially from other countries, let's talk about the Nigerian print scam, right? And a lot of people around the world for the past two decades have fallen for that, and they continue to fall for it because it's the promise that you're going to get something enormous just for supposedly being an altruist, right? Because what they're doing is they're pulling on your heartstrings as an altruist. And people have lost hundreds of thousands up to millions of dollars in this. And now what we're beginning to see, I think because people are coming forward with it, even though it feels shameful, is when you're the victim of a romance scam. That takes a lot of courage to come forward and say, I've been taken. I fell for it. You have the sense of shame. I was stupid. It's not like that at all. People want to say, oh, well, why doesn't the victim of domestic violence, why doesn't she just get up and leave? That's completely an incorrect assumption, because there is a cycle that keeps the woman in that. We're not even a woman. Men can be victims as well. There's a cycle that keeps that individual engaged in that dynamic. It's the same thing with romance scams, because the anonymity of the internet allows us to fall deeper and deeper into this fantasy of what this relationship might be. So it can be someone in a foreign country, and I I don't want to be pejorative by naming particular countries because we all know where the majority of these come from. And they've actually become much better because their Western grammar and syntax are improving as opposed to where they were about five to seven years ago. And they coach themselves on how to become more and more intimate with the women and listen. And they're listening in a way that maybe a woman or a man has not had a partner that listens. What's interesting to me is that the ones that target women go for the emotional heartstrings versus the ones where men are scammed. They are told that they're models and they're just trying to get some money so that they can come to the U S or, Hey, can you process this package for me and send it out with the idea that they're going to have a relationship with this model. And here's this person, you know, and let's not go to a place where we judge a person's looks, but like most of the men that I've interviewed in this situation are not going to be dating models. They don't have the financial resources. They don't move in those circles. And they have chosen to believe that there's someone on the other end of this ether that we call the internet that actually has these feelings for them and looks like Giselle Bunchen. It's just unlikely, but they choose to have that reality. And just as I think women choose to have in in these situations, choose to have the reality that here's someone who is responsive to my emotional needs.
3: Truman was running a textbook sweetheart scam, and it was only going to get more dangerous. from
0: Scamwatch.
3: Be alert to things like spelling and grammar mistakes,
4: inconsistencies in their stories and other signs that it's a scam, like their camera never working if
0: you want to Skype each other.
4: There had been so many inconsistencies already, he kept basically refusing to get a webcam, although not in so many words. If you agree to meet a prospective partner in person, Tell family and friends where you are going. Scamwatch strongly recommends you do not travel overseas to meet someone you have never met before. Oh, whoops. I'd booked my flights and was going in all guns blazing. Be wary of requests for money. Never send money or give credit card details, online account details, or copies of important personal documents to anyone you don't know or trust. If only I'd seen this website before I left. It wasn't long before Truman would be working every angle to swindle me out of my money.
3: It's been a long process for my mum to be able to look back on this with the maturity of hindsight and to see where exactly she was missing the signs. It's obvious that there were a series of moments, moments which one by one dug her steadily deeper into a hole that she was becoming less and less likely to be able to get herself out of. In the next episode, you'll see her act on what was possibly the decision that put her in the most danger. She got on a plane to go to another country to meet a man she'd met online. Make sure you listen to the next episode of...